right, would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. You're turning there. What a fun morning in the Lord we've had already. Amen? Always a joy to celebrate God's work of salvation uh, and to join the celebration of heaven over God's saving work in the hearts and lives of young men and women like these. Would you stand with me again? I know you just sat down, but As we read from the Word of God, we'll begin reading in Luke chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 4, which is Luke's prologue to the gospel. We began and are going to continue a study through the entire gospel together. And then we're going to skip to chapter 2, verse 21. It'll all be on the screen, but if you follow along in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. Luke 1, 1 through 4, and then chapter 2, picking it up in verse 21. Luke says this as he begins his gospel, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty." concerning the things you have been taught. In short, Luke writes this gospel to one named Theophilus. We think a Roman nobleman, someone of power and and means and in the uh, upper echelon of the Roman Empire at that time. Uh, We don't know an exact identification for this person, but this seems to be uh, to whom Luke writes and apparently had a personal relationship And so he wants to do what others have done, that is give an account, a gospel account, a a narrative account of the life of Jesus. So that Theophilus, and if you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, this book's written for you that you might have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Chapter 2, verse 21. We last read here together on Christmas Eve, and so we pick it up right after... um, The Christmas story ends in verse 20. And at the end of eight days, so Jesus has been born, and at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Interesting parallel here. Uh, Two things. One, the children were named in that day on the day of their circumcision if they were they were little boys, and, and in this case, and also at the end of chapter 1, in John the Baptist's case, both boy babies were named as it was given by the angel. Verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, quoting here from Leviticus 12, or two young pigeons. By the way, uh, in, in that day, the normal sacrifice for people of any sort of even moderate wealth or means would have been a lamb, but there was provision in that passage in Leviticus for those who did not have enough money to buy a lamb. And this was the provision. So Jesus' parents were... Poor, very poor people in their society. Now, there was a man, verse 25, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit into the temple, in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the Gentiles, a light to for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You may be seated, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for your work of salvation. We praise you that it all started in the birth of the Lord Jesus, even according to your eternal plan of grace and mercy to us in him. This morning as we gather to worship, we want to lift up a couple of families in particular. Lord, we've been praying for Mary Axelrod's family and the death of her mother. This morning we want to lift up the family of Rick Holcomb, who is now with you in your presence Um, since about 7.30 this morning. We praise you for uh, his life, and we pray for comfort for his family. Lord, we also pray for uh, Mike Howard and his family, Michael Howard and his family, as his mother uh, lives out her last days, perhaps hours um, right now. And as Michael cares for her, we pray for comfort, and thank you that she will soon be with you as well. Thank you, Father, for the hope that we have the everlasting, eternal hope, the fact that we are not without God and without hope in the world, but we have hope so that though we grieve, we don't grieve like the rest of mankind. We grieve in hope of certainly and forever being together with our loved ones who have died in Christ. And for these, we thank you that it was the case. Lord, open our eyes to see your word and understand your truth this morning and change our lives that you may be glorified in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are just three days, including today, left in 2019. Hard to believe, isn't it? It flies by quick. Seems like we come to this Sunday way too quickly. It just flies right on by, and here we are. And and on Wednesday, we'll be into the year 2020. You know, I think we all naturally think about the new year as, as the old, the, 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 the year ending comes to an end. We think about 
how a new year can be better um, than the last year was, what can be different, what we want to be different. I think it's just a natural rhythm of life this time of year. You get through Christmas, and then this, this, this last week, that's kind of how you think, right? And I think that can be a very good thing, especially for us who trust and follow Jesus. So what have you been thinking? What do you want your 2020 to include that 2019 didn't? How do you want your 2020 to be different from what 2019 was? What sort of goals do you have? Uh, I was reading something about resolutions. You know, just don't. Pray about a goal, but don't set a resolution. You'll find pretty quick your willpower is too weak to keep it. Um, and you'll be like those people that are there for two months at the gym, you know, you know those, that bunch, and then they're gone. Whatever, you're, that's, that's how it'll go. Uh, but, but at the same time, it's, it's good to, to plan some things. So what are, you, what are you planning? Can I throw out a worthy goal for you in the year 2020? You ready? This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. This is my challenge to you this morning. Stay sober in 2020. Now, you're like, preacher, you have got to be kidding that's your sermon title? Yep, that's my sermon title. Stay sober in 2020. Some of you are thinking, well, hey, look, I'm a teetotaling Baptist. I've never dr- drank a drop of alcohol in my life. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Others are of you, we just don't know about you. But God knows and sees, and it's okay, and it's, there's no, you're not to be can Jesus make good wine, so forth and so on. Some of you, in all seriousness, may need to stay sober in 2020. I I encourage you, I want to exhort you to get help if that's the case. Um, But I'm not talking about drinking alcohol. I'm not talking about that kind of sober. As we talk about staying sober in 2020, here's the truth I want you to take home. Wanting anything more than the fullness of God's grace at Jesus' return is spiritual drunkenness on the distractions of this world that blind you to your precious redemption in Jesus' blood. That's a long point. I got it. But it's good if you'll get it. So I'm going to read it again. Hope you'll read it with me. Hope you'll think about this. And what you're fixing to see is it comes right out of a verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. You say, wait a minute, we're in Luke 1, or Luke 2, I'm confused, Chad. Luke 2, Simeon and Anna are going to illustrate for us this morning something we're going to see in just a minute in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. But here's the truth again. I want you to take it home with you. Wanting anything more than the fullness of God's grace at Jesus' return is spiritual drunkenness in life on the distractions of this world that blinds you to your precious redemption in Jesus' blood. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter has just said that we enjoy a salvation that for a long, long time, angels longed to look into. They had been told about it. God had had had, had this plan of redemption from eternity past. They knew something was coming, but they didn't understand the details. They couldn't see it until it unfolded in history. And, And Peter's just said, you enjoy something that angels have anticipated in your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
through his incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Peter says, because of that, therefore, preparing your minds for action, listen, and being sober-minded. Stay sober in 2020. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wanting anything more than the fullness of God's grace at Jesus' return is spiritual drunkenness, according to Peter, on the distractions of this world that blind you to your precious redemption in Jesus' blood. So stay sober in 2020. Notice me, first of all, from uh, various places here as we move around a little bit in the Scriptures, spiritual sobriety means hoping completely in Jesus' return. We've already read it. I want to read it again, verse 13 in 1 Peter 1. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, hope is what gives our hearts and souls breath. Amen? It's what living's about. We have that anticipation of, 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 a, of a good event coming up, right? Just throwing stuff out. I anticipate Wednesday when I'll see my extended family again. The, 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 the fact that we've got a family gathering plan on New Year's Day, right? We hope for that. Hope moves us. It's what keeps us motivated. It's even more true in, in terms of our salvation. And what, notice what Peter says here. He says, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, don't, don't divide your hope up and put 10% in your 401k and 20% in your family and friends and the rest in Jesus. Set your hope fully on the grace. We set our hope on the fullness of grace. That is, what does he mean when he says that? It's it's the entering into our eternal enjoyment of God's grace there in his very presence that will come to us when Jesus comes back the second time. And so right now, here's the deal. You and I are in a period of waiting for Jesus to come back, right? For the second time. And when he comes back, we'll have a grace that will never end, a grace that will be a multiplied grace. We'll see him face to face. We'll be with him forever. In our Luke passage, Simeon and Anna are great examples of how we should wait and hope because they both had their hopes fully set on Jesus' first coming. And yet they show us in their waiting for Jesus' first coming And their welcome of Jesus when he came, how we should wait for his second coming and how we can welcome him when he comes. Luke 2, 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this was, this man was skipping down waiting, listen, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him, skipping down to verse 36, Uh, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, skipping to verse 38, who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both of them were waiting. The text says, says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comforting of Israel. The text says that Anna was waiting for the redemption of Israel. 
two words meaning different things and talking about different elements of the same salvation to come to the world through Jesus Christ. It seems, in fact, that both Simeon and Anna realized, and Luke in his writing in particular, that Jesus was the fulfillment of Isaiah 52, verse 9. Look at it on the screen where the text says, Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For, why? Why sing and and, and praise God? For the Lord has comforted his people He has redeemed Jerusalem. Both words used here. He has comforted, consoled his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. How's he done that? He did that through the sending of Jesus Christ, through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. He has consoled, comforted, and redeemed his people. We know that Simeon had been divinely told about Baby Jesus, did you catch that in our earlier reading in verse 26? It says of Simeon that it had been revealed to him, notice, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In in this time period in in, in the unfolding of history, there was some weird stuff going on. We, We know back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell all believers as he did after Pentecost, right? Can we just leave it at that for now? We, we kind of all understand that for the most part. He lives in us in a different way than he did Old Testament believers, even, those, even though they trusted him. And yet, we see in the Old Testament the Spirit of God coming and working in people and, and, and giving them understanding. Here at this point, it, it says that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before the Lord's Christ had come. And at the end of verse 25... It says of Simeon that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Interesting. The Holy Spirit is working in a very unique way here, but a very clear and powerful way. And so the Spirit of God tells Simeon that Jesus was coming and he would not die till he saw the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27 goes on, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The Spirit was on him. The Spirit told him he wouldn't see death before he saw the Christ. The Spirit led him up to the temple at just the right time to bump in to Mary and Joseph and the Christ, baby Jesus, who is there to be, to, to be set apart and, 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 and committed, as it were, to the Lord according to the law of Moses. By the way, just a quick aside before I forget to mention this. You, you hear it all throughout our passage this morning. You'll see it at other places as we continue on. But you hear us talk, sometimes I talk about how, how Jesus not only died the death we deserve, he lived the life we couldn't live. He perfectly obeyed the law for us so that not only does he give us the payment for the penalty of sin, he can give us as a gift positive righteousness. And so all of the law-keeping righteousness of Jesus is credited to our account when we trust in Jesus. You hear me talk about this, right? We, we, we talked about these things in, in Romans. So this, this unfolding of the narrative right here in Luke chapter 2 
where we see this care taken by Luke to say, to do for him according to the custom of the law, is so that we understand God is doing exactly what he said he would do for us as Jesus is born, as he's circumcised, as his his mother goes for purification to the temple and dedication of the child Jesus at the temple. All the, the points of the law are being met in his life for you and for me. Isn't that beautiful? Just little details that sometimes we don't catch as we read through. And so, again, we're thinking at this point about spiritual sobriety and the fact that spiritual sobriety, if we're going to stay sober in 2020, spiritual sobriety, we need to understand, means hoping completely in Jesus' return. Simeon was hoping in Jesus' coming. And he was given assurance by the Spirit that he would see Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. And he, he says it this way, My eyes have seen your salvation. Lord, I can die in peace now. You can take me home now because I've seen your salvation in the form of this little baby that I'm holding in my arms, the one whose arms created all things and who sustain all things simultaneously. This child is the salvation of the world. You can take me home now, Father. You and I wait for Jesus' second return. Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28. I think I just have 28 on the slide, but listen to verse 27. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's Jesus' first coming, his birth, life, death, and resurrection, right? So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, he did that on his first trip, but to save those, listen, who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? That's a question that I'd like to hear an answer to. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? Are you like Simeon? Do you want to see him? In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul's talking to the young pastor. And he's been talking to Timothy about his own ministry. And here's what he said. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, Paul's just kind of giving personal testimony here, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, I'm, I'm I'm not something any different than any other believer, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Had Jesus appeared yet? No, not the second time. Paul's talking about his second coming. Paul says, I'm going to get the crown of righteousness, but so will everyone who loves his appearing. Everyone who's waiting eagerly for Jesus to come back the second time and finish the whole package of our salvation and culminate the marriage of the Lamb to his bride, us, the church. Are you waiting eagerly? Do you love his appearing? Spiritual sobriety means completely hoping in God's grace at Jesus' return. It's a very important question. Are you waiting eagerly? Do you love his appearing? This this, this, this is the reality. If we as professing believers don't wait eagerly for, for Jesus, if we don't love the truth, and long for the truth, and pray with Paul in another place, come quickly, Lord Jesus, 
then we need to examine our hearts to see have we been made spiritually drunk on something we think in this world that, that is better and more satisfying than him and his presence and seeing him face to face and being with him forever. Hear me, be that money. Be that your job and all the satisfaction and good things that these things can bring. Be that family. Hello? Y'all all right? Jesus himself said, if you don't hate your mother and father, you can't know me. If your love for even earthly family compares to your love and your longing for Jesus, you got a problem. You see, it's not that all these things are, that we've mentioned so far are, 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 are bad in themselves. Money's not bad in itself. What does Paul say the root of all evil is? Not money. The love of money. When does your job become an idol when you love it more than you love Jesus? When does family, hear me say this out loud, when can your family become an idol when you love your family more than you love Jesus and the things of heaven? Secondly, spiritual sobriety means living holy lives for God's glory. Pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. It's on the screen. So he's just said, remember, he's just said in verse 13, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So stay sober, get your minds ready, put your hope fully on what you're going to receive when you see Jesus. But practically, what does that flesh out like? Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. The Father speaking, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, implied here then, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That is why you're walking through this world that is not home. While you're walking, listen, through this world that is not home, if you know Jesus, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Spiritual, spiritual sobriety, you see, means living holy lives for God's glory. What does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to live your life in holiness and in obedience for God's glory. Holy lives that include, holy lives for God's glory that include humble obedience to Him. Verse 17, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Listen to what it says. Is this how you wake up every day? Is this how you think as you begin the day? Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, that I mean you should wake up and be afraid of God. Not in the fearful condemning way. No, but this is what I mean. You should wake up. Every, I should wake up every Monday morning, every Tuesday morning, and write every, every day that ends in Y and think, 
God, by your grace and unbelievable mercy, you have saved me. You sent Jesus to live, die, and rise for my salvation. I tremble at your mercy. And if you've done that for me, I want to be, as Romans 12 talks about, I want to crawl up in view of your mercies. I want to crawl up on the altar of sacrifice again today, and I want to give you this day because you are worthy of all that I have. I want to conduct myself with fear while I'm journeying through this place that is not home. And I want to make sure the world knows that I know that this is not home. I want to make sure the world sees me living for the king of the kingdom and the place that I'm going to spend eternity, my true home in heaven with him. And so there's this humble obedience to him. Holy lives for God's glory include humble obedience to him. Simeon, the text tells us in Luke chapter 2, was this man was righteous and devout. He lived in that fear. He lived in that trembling before his Savior God, and he, he, he lined his life up according to the Word of God. He didn't call the shots in his own world, in other words. He wasn't his own master. The one who saved him by grace, he gave the reins of his life to. He bowed at that one's throne and said, you're the king. You're not just the savior that rescues me from hell. You're the Lord of the universe. You're my master. You get to call the shots because you bought me off the slave block of sin and set me free. You are Lord. Simeon lived that way. If we're to be spiritually sober, we must live that way. Holy lives for God's glory and humble obedience to him. But you and I both know we don't have what it takes to obey God, do we? You know how you know you know how to you know how to figure out how sinful you are. Start trying not to sin, <laughs> right? All of a sudden, you see how hard being good is. Amen. And I'm and I'm just I'm confessing. I mean, some of us it's harder for some of us than others, right? I mean, it's just hard. And, and that was kind of a joke. It's not really. It's hard for all of us because we are unable in ourselves to obey God apart from the grace of God. So how can we obey God? How do we live holy lives for God's glory and humble obedience to him? Well, we do it by, secondly here, following holy lives for God's glory include following the leading of the Holy Spirit and depending on his power. Again, we see it in Simeon's life. Three times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in relation to Simeon. Simeon was a man who, upon whom the Holy Spirit was. By the way, if you, if you know Jesus, just like we tell these precious children when they come to Christ, Jesus has come to live in your heart by his Spirit. He's there. So the Spirit is on you. But the Spirit also does in your life what it did in Simeon's life. It guides you. It gives you the, he gives you the Spirit of God. He gives you the desire to, to want to know God's will and the desire to do God's will. He gives you the ability to do God's will. Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Every day you and I have a choice. Will we follow the inclination and leading of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, or will we live according to our own sinful nature? And do what we want to do, what our flesh wants to do, these bodies of death. We have a choice. 
Before Jesus came into our lives, we didn't have a choice. We have a choice. And we can say yes to Jesus and his spirit and fulfill the desires of the spirit that God himself living in us puts in us. We can do that. And as Romans 8 verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, by the way, if you, if you know Jesus, his spirit dwells in you. Are you with me? You can't know Jesus and not have the spirit. Are you with me? If you've trusted Jesus, he moved in. Just the way it works. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. A couple things implied here, but one of, the, one of them is this. If Jesus' spirit lives in you, then he will enable you to obey him. He'll give life to your mortal bodies. He'll help you do what's really living in your mortal body. He'll help you obey him, overcome sin, say no to sin, and yes to Jesus. He'll do that. Now, here's the thing. You can think you know Jesus, but not really know him. You can't, think you, you, you can't know Jesus and not have the spirit. But you can think you know Jesus and not really know him and therefore not have his spirit and therefore not truly have the power of the spirit to overcome sin and walk in obedience to Jesus. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not blah, 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 and, and act like we were saved. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So you want to make sure you got that part squared away, Amen. If the Spirit of God is controlling and empowering us, we will know it because our life priorities, that is, our use of time, our use of our talents and gifts, our use of money and possessions will center around the third point here this morning included in holy lives, that is, worship and witness. How do you know if the Spirit's leading you? Your life priority will center around the worship of God and witness to him among the world, in the world. We see it in the life of Simeon. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 2, he took him up in his arms and what did he do? He worshiped, blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon worshiped God. He blessed him. He said, God, thank you for letting me see your salvation. Let me see and hold your Christ in my arms. Then he turned to Mary and he witnessed to her. He gave her this testimony. He said, look, your son is going to save the world. He's going to be responsible for the rising and falling. Some will believe and rise into salvation. Some will reject and fall under the condemnation of sin. But then he he just speaks the truth to her. He says, but it's going to be like you have a sword going through your own soul. You remember when Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane pulls out the sword and cuts the guy's ear off? That's not the kind of sword Luke's talking about here. That's, that's kind of like a big, a big knife, like a, 
like a, a small sword. The word, the word Luke uses here in the Greek language for sword is the big saber sword. It's for dramatic effect. And he says, Mary, it's not just going to be like a dagger in your heart. It's going to be like you're run through with the biggest sword there is. And certainly it was true as Jesus was beaten, tortured, mocked, spit on. As that crown of thorns was pressed into his head, as he was led down the Via Dolorosa with the cross on his back. As the spikes were driven in his hands and his feet, as he was hanging there dying for you, surely her soul was run through. It happened just like Simeon said it would. And if you're here today and don't know Jesus, he did all of that. He suffered all of that. And Mary was glad to let him suffer all of that for your salvation and for mine. So we see in Simeon's life, worship and witness. Skipping down to verse 37 and speaking of Anna, it says she did not depart from the temple worshiping. Notice, how did she worship? With fasting and prayer, night and day. By the way, that ought to be part of the life of the believer. Jesus didn't say, if you fast, if, like, if that's your thing and you decide you're going to fast as a Christian. He said, when you fast. Look it up. When you fast. Don't make a big show of it. Just do it for the glory of God and for the focus of your own soul on the things of God, for the increase of your love for Jesus. By the way, we talked about a while ago, do we wait eagerly for Jesus' return? Do we love Jesus appearing? You know what, if, if, my, if, I, answer, if I have to honestly answer no to that question, then, then here's a good thing to do. Fast about that tomorrow. Pray. Fast and pray about that. Say, God, I want to love your appearing more than I want food. And I want you to use my day of skipping meals and praying for you to change my heart. I want you to use that day to change my heart. So on the other side of this fast, time of fasting and prayer, I feel love for your appearing more than I did before. And coming up at that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of him She's worshiping him with fasting and prayer. She's witnessing about him to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's kind of cool here. She's waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, but she wasn't the only one. Simeon wasn't the only one. Apparently, there was a a group of people in Israel who actually got it. They were waiting for a baby to be born like Jesus. They were expecting Messiah to come. And she's talking to all those who've been kind of having the same thoughts and as the Spirit of God worked in their lives. She's telling them, this is him. Here he is. The son has been given, quoting Isaiah chapter 9. And so the question is, as we think about spiritual sobriety and the fact that spiritual sobriety includes a holy life of worship and witness. Do these characteristics of holiness describe the way we're living? You know, the beauty of our Savior is that He came to console and redeem us. What's so beautiful about that as we think about these things and this challenge from the Word of God to to, to be sober in 2020? It means that our failures and sin, even as his children, aren't the end of the story. Even if this isn't your life characterized 
here in these things this morning. God's grace and Jesus can move you, can move me through repentance into a process of reprioritizing our lives right on into the daily disciplines required to make holiness real and practical in our lives. God's grace is sufficient. And so the question is, will we plan to foster and cultivate these elements of holiness in our lives this coming year? You see, wanting anything more than the fullness of God's grace at Jesus' return is spiritual drunkenness on the distractions of this world. And let me just tell you, your your drink options are many for your soul. The distractions are multitudinous in this world today. And they blind us to our precious redemption in Jesus' blood. I heard a story this week about a 70-year-old husband and wife who regularly traveled to persecuted countries to tell people about Jesus. The pastor who was relating this story asked the man, at 70-something, how do you, how do you stay healthy for this, this sort of rigorous, rigorous travel? By the way, you go to persecuted countries, it ain't an easy ride. It ain't an easy trip to get there. It ain't easy once you get there. You, you, you've got to go long way and, and, and take diff, difficult travel, um, travel um, your vehicles. What I'm trying to say, you've got to walk or you've got to ride uh, on rough roads to get there. Uh, this old fellow of 70-something years old said, I work out three times a week. Preacher, I've got to be able to hike the jungles of Myanmar to f- tell people about Jesus. Amen? And the preacher said, Amen. Is that how you and I think? And in turn, steward our lives toward the glory of Jesus now and the hope of Jesus soon return. Do we train for witness? Do we organize our calendars for worship? Do we set up disciplines in our lives so that we're pushed closer to Jesus, so that we long for his appearing more? as we read his word and fast and pray and seek him with all of our heart. Stay sober in 2020 and show the world the beauty of Jesus, the consolation and redemption that they can know by personally trusting him. Because wanting anything more than the fullness of God's grace at Jesus' return is a spiritual drunkenness on the distractions of this world that blinds you to your precious redemption in Jesus' blood. And and in that blindness, you dishonor the one who died and rose for you. But folks, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of that we never dishonor him. Maybe so in our lives in the new year.